We've been studying the life of David for the past several weeks, and last week we left David in the land of the Philistines. Uh, he was not where God wanted him to be. He was in a difficult situation. He was in a dangerous situation. He was in enemy territory, but he'd made a home there. As a matter of fact, in 1 Samuel 27, 12, King Achish says this about David. David has become so odious to his people, the Israelites, that he will be my servant forever. David is in a dangerous situation. Uh, and, and what we're going to look at today, the army of uh, the Philistines is about to attack the army of Israel. And King Achish has assigned David to be the bodyguard for himself. So he's in the rear, but he's going to be the bodyguard of King Achish as they go in the battle to fight the Israelites. He's in the land of the enemy. Now he's, he's seeing himself in a situation that he may not be able to get out of, the, of. He compromised his trust in God and he put himself in a situation that he never should have been in. There's no doubt in our mind that David is out of the will of the Lord. David was not where he needed to be. He's not where God intended for him to be. Now we might sympathize with David. After all, he's been on the run from Saul for at least 10 years. Saul's been trying to kill him. So, so we might be sympathetic toward him in, in some ways. We might understand why David is doing this. But that does not mean it is God's will for his life. He is out of God's plan. He's out of God's purpose for his life. And the fact of the matter is, what we are going to learn from this passage of Scripture this morning is that you cannot compromise with the enemy and get by. You cannot continue to go over to the enemy and expect things to go as they've always gone in your life. And we will also learn from our study this morning that sometimes God graciously and mercifully rescues us from our situations. He rescues us from things in which we get ourselves into. So David's on the verge of making a major mistake in his life. But God is going to come in, and he's going to deliver him, and he's going to restore David. He's going to bring restoration to David. So we're going to look at uh, 1 Samuel 29 and chapter 30, and we're going to look at it, how to be restored. When you're in that devastating situation, when you're in the land of the enemy, how does God restore us? So let's kind of pick up the story. First, we see that restoration may come through deliverance. Restoration may come through deliverance. David is in this difficult situation, but God is going to intervene in David's life to get him out of this situation. David is, is about to go into battle, as I talked about. He's about to go into battle. He's about to make this decision to go into battle with the army of the Philistines against the army of the Israelites. Notice what it says in chapter 29, verse 3. The commanders of the Philistines asked, what about these Hebrews? Achish replied, is this not David, who is an officer of Saul, king of Israel? He has already been with me for over a year, and from the day he left Saul until now, I have found no fault in him. It's a question that, that many of us uh, uh, say, need to ask. It's a question that is relevant for David to consider. 
David does not belong in this situation. David does not fit. That's what these, these, these guys are saying to King Achish. It's an interesting observation, isn't it? They recognize that David does not belong in this situation. It's a question that many Christians could ask of themselves, or the world could ask of many Christians. Why are you here? Why are you in this situation? Why are you in this circumstance that you're in? The world many times needs to ask that question of Christians. Why are you doing this? That's exactly what was taking place in this story. So Achish defends David. Uh, and listen, it's, it's, it's not a compliment. You know you're in, you know you're in, bad, you're in bad company when the enemy starts defending you. Uh, you know something's wrong. Look at what he says in verse 4. Send the man back that he may return to the place assigned him. This is what the men are saying to the king. He must not go with us into battle or he will turn against us during the fighting. How better could he regain his master's favor than by taking the heads of our own men? And so a discussion takes place between King Achish and the army of the Philistines. And King Achish basically says, I find no fault in David. There's nothing wrong with him. King Achish is saying, David may be an Israelite on the inside, but he's a Philistine on the outside. His heart may say one thing, but his actions say something else. He's saying, David's one of us. He fits in with us. He, he, he's a Philistine because that's the way he's behaving. That's the way he's acting. Now, God is getting ready to use this circumstance that David is in to get David out of a real mess that his doubt and his deceit and his disobedience have gotten him into. God has a way of rescuing. God has a way of delivering us out of difficult situations. You ever been there in your life? You ever been in a situation when you got yourself in a situation and you just could not get out of it? And no matter what you did, you could not get out of it. And then somehow, some way, God miraculously steps in and delivers you out of that situation. It happens to us all the time. So the decision is made. David's not going to go with us. David's probably relieved. In the back of his mind, he goes, man, that was close. I'm sure that was going on in his mind. Now he puts on a good show. You know, he protests and complains to King Achish, but in the end, David is ultimately relieved, and it reveals to us a truth that's told in the New Testament. 2 Timothy 2.13 says, if we are faithless, if we are faithless, he will remain faithful, for he cannot disown himself. In those times when we're faithless, God will still be faithful, because he will not disown us. He will not just be unfaithful to himself. How thankful David must have been when God steps in and delivers him from this compromising situation. How thankful are you when God steps into your life and delivers you from a compromising situation? How grateful are you that God steps in and reveals himself and delivers you? Has it ever happened to you? Has it ever happened to your life when God just delivers you from a situation that you got yourself into? How wonderful that is. How grateful it is. It, it's such a wonderful thing to be delivered by God. So we, we said, 
boy, smooth sailing from here on. David's okay. He's been delivered. He's going to, to be restored. Everything is going to be great in David's life. Well, not so fast. That's not the way it works. You know that's true in your own life. Sometimes you are delivered from a situation, but guess what? There's still consequences. There's still devastation. I think that's one of the reasons God puts a story like this in the Bible. He wants us to know that even though you can be delivered out of a difficult situation, there's still consequences. There's still devastation that follows. And that's why he puts stories like this in the Bible to help us understand, to help us process it. If I was writing this, I, I would want, he delivers God from the, de he, he delivers David from the devastation of his consequences. And then David lives happily ever after. Amen. That's what we want. We don't want the consequences. We don't want the devastation. But that's not what happens in this story. Very few of us realize that God delivers us. He restores us through deliverance, but we don't get the message. We pass it off. I, I was lucky. We pass it off as coincidence, or we pass it off as my, in, my ingenuity and my own abilities got me out of this situation. David did not get the memo either. He didn't get the, the explanation from God. There's no indication whatsoever that, God, that David stopped, got down on his knees, and prayed, thank you, God, for delivering me from this horrible mistake that I was in. It's going to get rough for David. Chapter 29 is about God's deliverance. He, is, he, he keeps David from going into battle against his own people. Do you see how much trouble that could cause David in the future? If David went to battle with the Philistines against the people of Israel, they would never accept David as their king. Never. He would never have a place in the kingdom of Israel. But he's been anointed to be the next king of Israel. But because of David made some boneheaded decisions in his life, he got into a situation he could not get out of. So God says, I'm going to restore you, and I'm going to do it through deliverance. But there's still restoration that needs to happen. Restoration may come through devastation. Restoration may come through devastation. Chapter 30, verses 1 through 6 reveals the devastation of sin in people's life. You cannot sin and get away with it. Hear me on that, my friends. You cannot sin and get away with it. Even though God delivers you uh, from, from your situation, He delivers you from the disaster, there's still going to be consequences. There's still going to be payment to be made. God doesn't have a different set of consequences for believers and non-believers in the matter of sin. Sin still must be dealt with. You, you don't get by, as believers, you don't get by with sin and expect that God's going to deal with you differently. Listen, God's laws are the same for believers and unbelievers. They're the same. God doesn't have one set of rules for, for, for believers and another set of rules for unbelievers. Sin still must be dealt with, regardless of our situation. Look at what happens as a result of David's sin and living in compromise. Verse 1 says that David and his men reached Ziklag on the third day. 
Ziklag is a town that was given to him by King Achish. This is where they were living in the land of the Philistines. David's family was there. His possessions was there. That was his home for 16 months. He lived there. But as he's making his way back, it says it took him three days to get back to his home. As he gets back to his home, he notices something on the horizon. The town's burned down. It's been burned to the ground. And as they make their way in the town, they discover that all their families, all their wives, all their children, all their possessions have been taken captive by the Amalekites. And it says that grief overcome David and his men. They were overcome with pain and agony. It's the exact same thing for some Christians today. Many Christians today live in a backslidden state. That's a good Baptist term, backslidden. Can we just tell you what it is? They're out of the will of God, okay? You know, backslidden. They're out of the will of God. They're out of an intimate relationship with God. They're out of fellowship with God. They've moved away from God, moved to be closer to the world. But they're living in that condition. They've wandered from the truth. They've wandered from that relationship with God. And in the process, it's cost them things that are near and dear to them. It's cost them because of their decisions that they made. Verse 4 says that, says that they, they cried and they cried and they cried. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been so devastated by a situation in your life that all you can do is cry? And, and you, can't, you can't seem to find relief? You know what happens to Christians who get out of the will of God because of the devastating effects of sin on their families and those who are near and dear to them. You may run off from a spouse. And you may think that you, you're living happily ever after, but someday your children will come and you, they will look you in the eye and say, I hate you. I hate you. And you will cry. And you will cry. And you will cry. Or maybe you get in that business venture and you think it's going gonna, it's gonna, to uh, uh, make a lot of money for you. Maybe it's a shady deal and you get into it and eventually everything comes falling down and collapsing around you and you lose it all and you will cry and you will cry and you will cry. It happens by the decisions that we make. The devastation of sin affects us, but it affects those nearest and dearest to us as well. And when that happens, all we can do is cry just like David did. This is a bad day for David. This is a, a devastating day. And it's kind of interesting. On the one hand, it's probably one of the greatest days in David's life. He's been delivered. But on the other hand, it's the worst day of his life because he's lost everything. You see the contrast? This is where David is living in the midst of his decisions that he's made. But God was at work. God was working behind the scenes to bring restoration to David. What God was doing, he was, he, he was going to cut David loose from the world, and he's going to get him back to him. That's what God was doing in the life of David. During this time, there's, there's no evidence that David had an intimate relationship with the Lord, but he's still God's man. He's still a man after God's own heart. He's still the anointed one to be king of Israel. And what God is doing, he says, God, David, I'm breaking your ties to the world. I'm breaking your ties to the things that bind you, to the things that keep you from being the man that I want you to be. He's breaking the chains. 
But it gets even worse for David. <laughs> verse 6 says, look at verse 6. David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters. You see what's happening? These are the people that have followed David for almost 10 years. They've lived in caves with him. They've been through difficult times with him. They've reached the point that David, we're fed up with you. We're going to kill you. And they, they, they were going to stone David because of their wives and because of their children that were now living in the devastating consequences of bad decisions. These are the people that were closest to David. As I thought about that, I thought it's interesting to observe how tragedy affects people. You know, tragedy comes, sometimes it brings out the worst in individuals, or sometimes it brings out the best in individuals. And when it brings out the worst, you know what they're always looking for? They're looking for someone to blame. Who can we blame this on? Uh, who can we accuse uh, for this situation? I've seen it in my own ministry. I've seen in a time when, when people, be, because of their situation, they're down, said, I need somebody to blame. They would never openly blame God. Maybe they still have enough respect for God, so they look for somebody else to cast the blame on, to deflect it from themselves. I've seen it happen in my own life, in my own ministry. Their complaint against God is against God, but they never come out and utter that. So here's David. His family's gone. His wives are gone. His children are gone. His city is burned to the ground. His possessions are gone. Those closest to him have threatened to kill him. David is at the lowest point of his life up to this time. He's at the bottom. What do you do when you're at the bottom? You look up. You look up. And that's exactly what David does. And we discover that restoration may come through dependence. Restoration may come through dependence. At the end of verse 6, we have a turning point in David's life. Notice what he says. But David found strength in the Lord his God. He's been through the devastation. He's been, he's, he's been delivered. He's been through the devastation of his, of his choices. Restoration is happening. And finally, he looks at his situation and says, I have nowhere else to go. I'm going to cry out to the Lord. He had no other place to go. He had no army that would support him. He had no family. He had no friends. Everything was gone. The only thing he could do was look up. Let me tell you something. Some of you today need to get to the point that David was in his life. You need to look up. You need to look up to God. And you need to look to Him to provide deliverance in your life. That's one of the reasons Jesus came, was to deliver us from something we could not deliver ourselves from. David reaffirms his personal relationship with the Lord. I want you to notice the wording of this once again. It says, but David found strength in the Lord, his God. It doesn't say that he, David found strength in the Lord God. It says he found strength in the Lord, his 
God. He's affirming his personal relationship with God. He's affirming his intimate connection with God. How many of you today can affirm your relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ? Can you say, he's my Lord, he's my Savior, he's my God? Some of you need to do that today. You need to reaffirm your commitment, reaffirm your relationship with Jesus Christ as Lord of your life. What David is doing in this passage, he's renewing his walk. He's being restored. He's coming back to the Lord. Let me urge you, my friends, get where David got in his life. Get out of the land of compromise and start living in an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the only way you're ever going to be restored. That's the only way you'll ever find hope and peace and joy that comes from God. It's the only way. Get back in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Once he's got back in that relationship with God, David once again says he he feels like he could pray again. Uh, Look at verse 8 and what David said. David inquired of the Lord, shall I pursue this raiding party? Will I overtake them? David is requesting help from God. And I love what happens. He's very direct. He's very, he says, Lord, I need a direct answer. Shall I pursue? Will I overtake? And, and what does the Lord say? He says, yes, pursue and you will overtake. I mean, he's very direct with him. David wanted a direct, a simple, a direct response and God gave him a direct answer. Pursue and overtake. You will achieve the victory. Now, not only did David defeat the enemy, uh, they go and, and, and they have a battle uh, with, with them. Uh, he, he fights the battle. It's a, a one-day battle. And then notice what happens in verses 18 and 19. David recovered everything the Amalekites had taken, including his two wives. Nothing was missing, young or old, boy or girl, plunder or anything else they had taken. David brought everything back. You see what happened? Once he depended upon God and God delivered him, he got more than he had when he left. He not only recovered everything that the Amalekites took from them, but he also took, recovered everything the Amalekites took from the other villages. David got more than he had to begin with. He gained more than he lost. Once David expressed his dependence on God, God moved in David's life to provide restoration. But in the process of David being restored to God, he does not forget that being in a proper relationship with God demonstrates itself by being in a proper relationship with others. Let me say that again. Being in a proper relationship with God demonstrates itself by being in a proper relationship with others. You can't say me and God are tight and not be tight with brothers and sisters in the Lord. You can't say it. It doesn't work that way. The best way to demonstrate your love for God is the way you demonstrate your love to others. Because if the love of Christ dwells in you, it's going to reveal itself by your love toward others. David understands that. He's getting it. Look at what he says in, in verse 22, look at what happens in verse 22. Now, I wish I didn't have to say this, but it happens. Remember, David leaves, as David goes off the battle to fight the, the Amalekites, and I, I forgot to mention this, but let me go back and rehash it because it's important to this part. As David goes off and fights the Amalekites, 
There's 600 men that go and fight the battle. Two of them grow weary in the battle, or they grow weary in pursuing the Amalekites. They've been traveling for three days. They get to Ziglag, and, and they're weeping, and they're sobbing. And now they're pursuing the Amalekites. They just get physically worn out. So David leaves 200 men behind to guard the supplies. It's not, it's not a, a, a bad thing. David's not punishing them. This was an important assignment. Somebody needed to guard the supplies so that an opposing army wouldn't come and steal their supplies. So David does that. So the 400 go and they fight the battle and they win the battle. And then they come back and then look at verse 22. But all the evil men and troublemakers among David's followers. I wish that wasn't there. I wish it would say that oh, all of David's followers are just men of God. But it says, all the evil men and troublemakers among David's followers. You know what they said? These 200 people, they don't deserve any of the loot. They don't deserve anything that we capture from the Amalekites. We fought the battle. They didn't do it. So they should be excluded. These whiners, these babies, they don't get any of the goodness of God's bounty. That's what they're saying in this situation. They don't deserve it. But David reveals that he's turned from his previous ways of looking out for himself, and he begins to provide proper leadership again. Look at verse 23. David replied, no, my brothers. Let's stop right there. No, my brothers. That speaks volumes to his men. It is something we need to understand even though these people are described as evil men and troublemakers, David says, you're my brothers. You're my brothers. That's important for us to grasp. Can you call, hear me on this, can you call those people in the church that cause trouble brothers? Can you? Because when you can call them your brothers, guess what? You're on the way to providing good leadership. You're on the way to truly experiencing the heart for God. When you can call those individuals your brothers in the Lord. If you can, it reveals your relationship with God is strong. Look at verse 23 through 25. Know my brothers, you must not do with what the Lord has given us. He has protected us and handed over to us the forces that came against us. The share of the man who stayed with the supplies is the same as that of him who went down to the battle. All will share alike. Verse 25, David made this a statute, an ordinance for Israel from that day to this. David, he's in a proper relationship with the Lord, and he finally has, finds the truth that he had forgotten. Hear me. He was blessed to be a blessing David was blessed by God so that God could use him to be a blessing to the other people. His restoration with God was revealed by his treatment of other people in this passage. But it does not stop with those who are closest to David. Uh, look at verse 31. He took these, these gifts that he sent and he sent them to all the other places where David and his men had roamed. David has come full circle. He doubted God, and he took matters into his own hand, and it got him into a difficult situation. He led his men into a compromising situation and had devastating results. 
He began to think of himself and, and, and everything spiraled out of control when David was only in it for his own interest, for his own personal gain. And the same is true of us as well. When all the arrows of our life point inward, we have no desire to serve God or to serve others. No desire. That's what happens when everything is focused on us. As individual believers and as a church, we should never be focused on us. We should always be focused on them out there. Why? Because we are blessed to be a blessing. We have been blessed by God to be a blessing. But once David got his act together, once David got right with God, God could use him to bring good to other people. The restoration is complete. David is no longer thinking about himself, but he thinks about others. Do, do you need to be restored today? I want you to know that God has a plan. God has a purpose for your life. You will not experience God's plan. You will not experience God's purpose outside of the will of God. Out, when you're compromising with the world and living in a, in a world of sin, you will not experience that in the land of compromise. Turn your heart back to God. Maybe you've been delivered. Maybe God has delivered you out of a situation. Have you stopped and thanked God for that deliverance? Have you gotten down on your knees and thank you, God, for delivering me out of that situation? Maybe that's what some of you need to do today. Instead of going, thank God, that's over with. You know, say, God, thank you that you delivered me. I didn't know how I was going to get out of that. God, thank you. I praise you, God. I praise you because of what you've done in delivering me. Perhaps I, who some, where some of you are today. Maybe you're living in the midst of the devastation. Your decisions, your sins, your choices have led to devastating consequences in your life. Have you looked up? Have you finally said, God, I'm at the bottom. I'm looking up to you. And you know what you would discover? God says, I never left. I used to have a friend that described it this way. You're running from, you're running from God like this. God's right there and you're running from God. And you turn around, God's right there in your face the whole time. God pursues those that he loves. God pursues those. Do you know that God is pursuing you right now? He pursued David into the land of the Philistines. He said, okay, David, you're over there. I forgot about you. He said, I'm going to pursue him, and I'm going to bring him back. Why? Because I have a plan. I have a purpose for David, and he cannot fulfill it over there. He's got to be over here with me. Have you looked up? Or perhaps you're in a situation now where you've been delivered. You're out of that time of devastation. You're living in dependence upon God. Have you recognized have you recognized that you are blessed in order to be a blessing? God doesn't bring you out of the land of compromise. He doesn't bring you out of the land of devastation for you to sit and twiddle your thumbs and go, oh, I just feel so much better. I think I'll just sing Kumbaya. 
No, no. He delivered you because he has a purpose for you. He has a message for you to deliver to other people that are stuck in devastation and stuck in the consequences of sin. He has a message for you. What is that message? There is a God and he loves you. He loves you and he wants you to come to him. He wants you to come home. I understand what it's like to be in your situation. I know what it's like to live in the devastation and the consequences of sin. But I want you to know there is restoration and it's found in Jesus Christ. I don't care what problem you've been in. I don't care what sin you've done. I don't care where your sin has taken you. If you will cry out to Jesus Christ, Lord, my God, my Savior, save me. He will save you. That is the message that we are to proclaim. That was a message that David was about to proclaim. As God is shaping him to be a man after God's own heart. Isn't that what we want? Don't we want to develop a heart for God? Then listen, you can't develop a heart for God living in the land of compromise, living in the land of the world, living in the land of the enemy. You've got to say, I got to come home and I got to be in fellowship with God. I got to be in fellowship with God's people. I got to be in a relationship with God and a relationship with God's people because that's the only way that's going to happen. For some of you, you need to come home. For some of you today, you need to be restored. God has a wonderful plan and purpose for your life. Will you come home to Jesus today? For some of you, maybe for the very first time, he said, I need a relationship with a loving Savior. Oh, God loves you. He loves you so much that he sent Jesus Christ to restore you to an intimate relationship with him. You could never pay the price for your sins. So God said, I'll pay it for you. I'll pay it for you. It's like God, you know, you're in debt for a million dollars and God gives you the money to do it. Because you could never do it on your own. Some of you, you're a follower of Jesus. Can you just be honest with yourself? Just be honest with yourself. You don't have to be honest to me. Said, I'm, I'm, I'm living over here out of the will of God. I'm doing my thing my way. For my own joy enjoyment instead of living the way God would have me live. Oh, come home. Come home. Get out of the land of compromise and live in the land of God. For others of you, maybe God's plan for you is, you, know, you need a church home. I look around the room, I think everybody here is members. Everybody in here is related to this church one way or the other. But you're a hanger-on. You know what a hanger-on is? You get to enjoy the benefits of community, but you don't do anything for the community. You know who I'm talking about, don't you? Don't look around, please. That was not meant for you to look around. It's for you to look at yourself. Look at yourself. Oh, what could the world do? What could the world see? What could God do? When every member of his family pulls their own weight. Amen. What could God do with the church when every member says, God has blessed me. Oh, I want to be a blessing. I tell you what, I want to be a pastor of a church like that. 
I want to serve at a church like that. I want to serve alongside people like that. I don't necessarily want to be their leader. I just want some of it to rub off on me. Because we grow stronger when we work together to accomplish what only God can do through us. God has incredible plans for your life. And he has incredible plans for this church. But we cannot do it when we're outside his will and we're living in the land of compromise. It won't happen. We need to be restored. Do you want to be restored today? In a moment, we're going to have a time of invitation. The call is for some, come to Jesus for the very first time. We can tell you how to do that. For others, man, I got to recommit my life to God. I got to recommit my life to his people. And for others to say, man, I need a church home. I got to have a place where I can seek my teeth in the ministry and I can be a part of a church that's trying to do something, do something in this community. Would you stand with me?